The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Today I thought just share something special, kind of just a devotional, something that God had laid on my heart. And that's why I wanted to share, actually, just two verses I want to camp out on in Matthew chapter 10. If you want to look there, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. And then some of the key verses in the surrounding context there. But as Jesus is training and preparing his disciples for ministry to represent him, to be ambassadors when he leaves, to infiltrate the world on his behalf, and to be bold, speaking for God, Christ, and truth in a wicked and hostile world, he's preparing them ahead of time, giving them the tools that they're going to need and filling their arsenal with heavenly armaments soldiers of the cross, and these have practical applications for us that we can apply to our life. And so today's sermon or devotional, just calling it Holy Boldness. Holy Boldness. You can be bold and be arrogant or condescending, which is wrong and sinful. That's why I call it Holy Boldness. Holy means set apart for God for a special purpose. Holy means sinless or perfect after the model of Christ and of God. God who is holy, he is sinless, he is perfect. He is the ultimate standard. Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect. He set the bar and the model under which we should follow. So God calls Christians to be bold, but he calls them to a holy boldness, not an obnoxious, arrogant boldness. And being bold isn't always being wrong either. Some people have that misconception. So let me read verses 32 and 33. Is Jesus right in the middle of what he's encouraging his disciples as they're going to represent him in the world? And he reminds them first in verse 22. He says, Remember, disciples, you will be hated by all on account of my name. You will not be popular because I am not popular. You're going to be hated because you follow me. The world hates Christ and what he stands for, what he truly stands for. So you're not going to necessarily win a lot of friends being a obedient, holy, godly Christian who represents and follows Christ. He, he warns them, the world is going to hate you because they hate truth and they love their sin, generally speaking. That's what he's talking about. That's the context. Uh, and then he goes on to this. So he's talking about you know how people are going to respond to you, how people are going to treat you because... You're a Christian. Was there anything that happened this week that kind of stood... Did you get a reaction from anybody this week because you are a Christian? Think about it. Based on what you did as a Christian, what you said as a Christian this week, maybe your reputation as a Christian, or maybe because of a book or a Bible you were carrying, did you get a look, a comment, a sneer, a smirk? Or you spoke up for Christ... So did you get a reaction this week or maybe in the last two weeks or maybe in the last month? Maybe something comes to mind. And that's what the context is saying. Jesus is preparing his disciples. You're going to get reactions. You're going to get reactions from people, all kinds of different reactions. And sometimes they won't be happy reactions. You'll get uh, hostile reactions. You'll get cursed at, made fun of, mocked, isolated, ostracized, maybe even physical reaction and retaliation because you're a Christian, because you stand up for truth. That's the context. So he's warning them, do not fear people. Don't worry about the reaction. 
you're going to get from people if you're speaking up for truth and living for Christ. And so as a result, he says this in verse 32, and this is what I want to emphasize. 32, Jesus says, everyone, therefore, everyone, every professing Christian is what he's talking about. And this isn't just for adults. This is for you. If you're a third grader and you call yourself a Christian, this applies to you. Or a teenager. You're a sophomore in high school at a public school. And you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay. This is for you and for me, for all who call the name of Christ. This is from Jesus, our master. Everyone, every professing Christian, believer, everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, if you have a true, sincere, real, legitimate, bona fide, spiritual, born-again, personal relationship with me, Jesus Christ, then in the future, I am going to gladly, in an enthusiastic manner, proclaim your specific name to my Father who is in heaven. As a matter of fact, when you die and you go to heaven, Jesus will personally introduce you to the Father and all the angels in heaven by name. Isn't that a great promise? Amen. Amen. So everyone, therefore, who shall confess, the word confess there means to, to proclaim. It's where the word, we get the word for homiletics or preaching. So it's verbal. It is inherently verbal. Because some Christians might say, well, I'm a, I'm a secret agent for Jesus. I'm undercover. I try not to look like a Christian and I try not to say anything so that people don't find out. Oh, whoa. That's contrary to what Jesus is saying. You need to confess. You need to confess. You need to proclaim. You need to verbally represent me wherever you go. That's what he's saying. Everyone, therefore, who professes, proclaims, verbally speaks out before men, before the world, before unbelievers, I will also in return confess your name, proclaim your name verbally before my Father who is in heaven because you belong in heaven, because you are truly one of His. And then verse 33, He gives this warning. But, there's the contrast, but whoever shall deny me before men, whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Wow, that's sobering. On the surface level, when we read that, who shall ever deny me before men, many times we, we just take it real, just uh, one-dimensionally and think, verbally denying, going up to somebody and saying, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in Jesus. That's not the only thing Jesus is talking about. Because there's a lot of different ways we can deny Christ and deny God and deny biblical truth, aren't there? They happen all the time. One of the main ways I think that Christians or professing Christians deny Jesus Christ in the world is by being silent and saying nothing. That is the main way we deny Christ. It could be at a restaurant. It could be we have an opportunity to talk to somebody on an airplane or to your barber or to the mailman and we just clam up or we're in a crowd. Uh, it could be you're a student at school at a college and you never say anything and the professor's up there waxing eloquent about the virtues of atheism and how idiotic Christianity is and you never say anything. Or maybe you're in a public high school, same thing. You're just silent. You don't say anything. You don't raise your hand. You don't want to let them know you're a Christian because the 27 other students in your class aren't Christians and they're hostile to the faith and they agree with the teacher. Or it could be you're on a, a soccer team and you're in fourth grade. You're kind of hesitant to let everybody know you're a Christian, a weird Jesus freak because of how people might respond to you. So I think the number one way that we deny Christ is simply by saying nothing and not speaking up. 
But Jesus says, no, if you're a Christian, you can't do that. You've got to speak up. You cannot, as they've said, you cannot be like the Arctic River, frozen over at the mouth. You've got to speak up. One of the reasons we've got to speak up is because the world's speaking up. They're talking loud, aren't they? Man, they're talking loud all over the place. And it's getting worse. As a matter of fact, they're getting more bold in the world, speaking up for what they believe and their immorality and their convictions that fly in the face of God and His Word. And Like I said, it's growing like a snowball, getting bigger every day, progressing more and more. Here's some examples. In San Diego, these are true stories. In San Diego, here in California, a strip club out on the street, the whole world can drive by and see the building. It has a large sign that anybody can see as they're driving by. And this is what it says, quote, We didn't create sin, we just perfected it. Ha, ha, ha. They think that's funny. That's actually sad. To be that bold and to be that brash, you've got to have a seriously seared conscience. That is a direct attack attack on God. That's in San Diego. Here are also in America. One TV channel boasted of their adult programming with this, quote, guaranteed to break more commandments, with a capital C, than any other lineup. That's their advertisement. They exist to break the Ten Commandments. That's bold. That's not a holy boldness. That is a brash and sinful, wicked boldness. But they're speaking up. I remember I was in Borders in 2006 in Sunnyvale when my, my little book that nobody bought came out. And I was, I was told it was on the shelf in Borders. So I, I went in there. And I went into the religion section. And right in front of the religion section is this huge display in the religion section of a whole bunch of new, best-selling, atheist, anti-Christian, anti-Bible books. I was like, whoa, am I in the religious section? It was in the religious section. Best-sellers that still are on the best-seller list, like The God Delusion. The God Delusion. Here's another one that just I couldn't believe. My mouth just, my jaw hit the floor. God is not great. Best-seller. Still a bestseller. God is not great. How blasphemous can you possibly get? Bold. Unbridled. Animosity and hatred. You know, I I have never had a bumper sticker in my car in all my years of driving. Because that's just... It goes... It's in keeping with my personality. I kind of want to keep the cards close to my vest. And, you know, some people you can learn about their whole life at a red light. Because of all the bumper stickers on their car. What they think politically and socially and on the next thing you got to vote on and blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, wow, whoa. Their diary, it's open right here. Green light. Go. They're political ones. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons why I've never put a bumper sticker on my car. Number one, I never really owned a nice car. Uh, number two, until now. But I was always fearful. If I, if I put one of my, if I told people what I really believed, they'd probably bash all my windows in. So I probably don't, I don't want to do that to my car. But I appreciate some bumper stickers when I read them. Kind of funny it sometimes. So I think just to be a bumper sticker person, actually I have one now for the first time in my life. It says, uh, I love my church. Uh, GBF, go to the website. But just to be a bumper sticker person, you've got to have a certain kind of personality. You're just kind of a, a bold person by nature. I, that's what I've become convinced of, bumper sticker people. And there's probably some of you. No, there are some of you because I've seen your bumper stickers out there. They're just kind of bold. They don't care what other people think. I'm not like that with my car anyway. 
So not only are there bumper stickers, there's those uh, metal placards. And it started out, I think, originally with the fish, you know, the metal fish. First it was just the fish. Then they put the name Jesus inside the fish because from history we understand that the early church, when they were being persecuted and martyred and hiding in caves, having their services to communicate to other Christians secretly, they'd start, they started drawing the picture of the fish on walls. And the fish represented Christ because the Greek word for fish was an acronym speaking of the deity and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the fish, son of the fish, became a sign of Christ and believers. And so now we've got, you know, for years we've had the fish on people's cars, and that usually would indicate, oh, that person's probably a believer in Christ, or at least they profess to be. And then a few years went by, and all of a sudden we started seeing a fish that had legs on it and Darwin written in the middle of it. What was that? That was an outright blatant attack on Christianity is what it was. And then they got more bold, more bold and more arrogant. And the next thing you see is there's a fish that says Jesus on it and it's being swallowed by a fish with the word Darwin on it and legs on that fish. That's even more blatant, bold, and arrogant. Darwin swallowed up Christianity and Christianity today is totally insignificant. Jesus means nothing. And they're becoming more hostile and brash. And this week I was driving down Cupertino, got to a red light, there's a car in front of me and there's a fish. And I had never seen this one before, and I was, I was startled when I saw it. It just said, pagan, inside the fish. It's like, wow. This person, this person would scare me to talk to. Bold, brash, pagan, and proud of it. It's almost like a dare. Come on, Christian, bring it on. Well, that's what we're seeing in the world. So unbelievers, they're bold, they're outspoken, they're verbal. And it's increasing more and more. Friday night, I was driving on the road to preach somewhere, and then there's this huge, massive truck. Uh, and I couldn't tell if it was some teenage boy or if he was in his 20s, but the, the tailgate, he had huge, massive letters stuck on there permanently, and what it said was so blatantly immoral, I couldn't repeat it. And there it was. He was flashing it to the whole world and to the whole Anybody driving on that highway? So the world is becoming more bold, brash, vocal, and vociferous about their beliefs, their sinful indulgences, their immoral behavior, their rights to disregard self-restraint, to totally disregard public decorum, in favor of flaunting their open rebellion and defiance. They live their life, many of them, not all of them, but many of them, with an unholy boldness. So my question and challenge for all of us is, how bold are you? How bold are you for Christ? How bold are you representing Him, speaking up for Him? And so that's what God laid on my heart recently. Is just I wanted to share it with you because I wanted to be reminded of it. This has repercussions. We see it all the time. And it's not intentional many times. And many times we find ourselves, oh, well, there's a lost opportunity. Oh, wow, I didn't speak up for Christ. Wow, that was cowardly. We find ourselves doing that all the time. So I just wanted us to be reminded to be living a life of holy boldness for the goodness and the glory of God and I've seen this in the classroom as a teacher, as a student. I see it today in the public schools more and more because the secular public schools are becoming more secular and anti-Christianity. It seems like it's very difficult for a Christian who's at a public school, whether it's in high school or college, uh, to speak up and let their convictions be known out of the fear of reprisal regarding their grade or being ostracized in the class. This happens all the time. I know one student 
they were asked by the teacher to write down a, like a biography. And I read the whole thing, and there's no mention of Christianity. My question was, well, why not? And the, the response from the student was, because out of fear of reprival of what the teacher, who's not a Christian, might do to their grade. That's not fair that a teacher would do that. But Christians, we need more holy courage, don't we? We all do. So that's my exhortation and my question to you is how bold are you? So let me give you some diagnostic questions to help you think through. And I apply this to my own self, these 12 questions. Just to think about as you live your life day to day. Do you, does your neighbor know that you are a Christian? Do your coworkers know that you're a believer? Do your classmates in school know you're a Christian? Whether you're in high school, elementary school, college, does your teacher know you're a Christian? Why not? Why? Does your barber or hairdresser, if it's a regular person that you have, do they know you're a believer? Great time to talk, right? You're not going anywhere. Uh, I know two brothers that are, one's a dentist and another's a periodontist and they're Christians and they're very bold. And when they get their patients strapped down and the mouth locked open, they just unload about Jesus for about 40 minutes. That's one good approach. Anyway, does your mailman know you're a Christian? Here's another question. When was the last time that you gave your testimony or shared your life story about Christ with someone? When was the last time you did that? Shared your testimony. Who was the last person that you shared the gospel with specifically that you can remember? If you can't remember, then it's been too long. Do you speak up for biblical truth in a crowd of when they're talking about controversial issues or do you just kind of clam up? Have you recently asked God, this is huge, have you recently asked God to make you more verbally bold for Him in prayer? That's God. That's where you start. If you're uh, afraid of man, if you have the fear of man, you're a coward, or whatever it is, that is the place to start. God, make me bold. Make me holy. Speak with a holy boldness for you. It's got to start uh, with asking God. We need His help. We need the Holy Spirit. Do you refrain from speaking biblical truth? from fear of what others might think of you or say about you? Then assess your life overall as a Christian. How long have you been a believer? This last question. Have you grown or had noticeable improvement or courage in being bold for Christ since the time you got saved? Many times I think I was more bold when I was a new believer. Which is kind of sad. You've got to pray to God. God, give me that renewed zeal fervor, courage, reckless abandon for you. I remember when I first got saved and I walked the streets of Santa Barbara and a friend, I was so verbal and vocal, they bought me a shirt on my birthday and it said, I'm a Jesus man on the front of my shirt. I wore that everywhere in Santa Barbara, California. I got all kinds of looks and mocks and maligned and spitting on my shirt and whatever. And so I wasn't wearing the shirt anymore. I was tired of the spit. So let's go back to uh, Matthew chapter 10 just to, to wrap this up. Just a couple of thoughts to help uh, develop, inculcate, or nurture a holy boldness in a good way, speaking up for Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior and Lord, for those who know Him. And that was just a couple of thoughts on just some self-assessment. And why aren't we bold? Why do we lack courage? Here's just a couple of main reasons, I think. Number one reason is because we have a fear of man, don't we? We have a fear of man. That's what Proverbs 29 says. The fear of man is a snare. The fear of man is simply worrying about what everybody else thinks about me. You can't live your life that way. That's called the fear of man. It is condemned in Scripture. 
As a matter of fact, that's the whole point of Matthew chapter 10. Jesus starts out saying, verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Wolves. Then he goes on to say three times, Do not fear them, verse 26. Verse 28, do not fear them. Verse 31, do not fear them. Do not fear. Jesus knows we are fearful, that we are weak. That is the most repeated command from God to encourage His people in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Do not fear. Why does Jesus say it so many times? Or God, because that is a vulnerable... That's our greatest weakness. We fear. We fear man. We fear what other people think about us. And if you live your life that way, you won't live with holy boldness on a regular basis. And nor will I. And that's why Jesus is even telling His apostles. He's telling this to Peter. Peter of all people, one of the most bold people who ever lived for Christ in the history of the world. He wasn't born that way. He wasn't always that way when he was with Jesus. He had to be taught by Jesus. And Jesus exhorted him here. Do not fear them. Peter, Peter got the message. He learned. So that's the number one reason we lack boldness is we have a fear of other people. We care about what they think about our beliefs about Christ. It should not be so. Then the converse or the complement to that is another reason we aren't bold for Christ is we have a lack of fear for Almighty God. Think about that. That's why Jesus said this in verse 28. Listen to this. Do not fear those who kill the body. Don't fear men. Don't fear humans, even when they resort to the worst possible consequence, which is physical death. Don't fear human beings. Don't fear death. You need to have fear, but it can't be directed toward men. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, here it is, fear Him. Fear God. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God is the, the beginning of a holy life. But rather, fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That is Almighty God. That is Jesus Christ. We need to have a healthy fear of Jesus Christ, Lord. He is friend, but He's also Lord. He is friend, but He's also judge and king. He is friend, but he's also master of us, isn't he? We need to have a healthy fear of God, of Yahweh, who is a consuming fire. And we can't be having an unbalance with this just gross familiarity that some Christians have of God, calling him buddy or the man upstairs or these very unbiblical, overly familiar terms of a holy God. We need to have a fear of God, a healthy fear of God, a sinless and perfect God that will help us, as we grow in a balanced understanding of the attributes and the character of God, it'll help us to become more bold for Him. Because out of that fear, that holy reverence for God, we will warn others, won't we? We will warn people that a judgment is coming. And we want them to be saved. Uh, another reason that we are not bold is that we have a naive view of the world. That they're all happy-go-lucky. And another naive view that we succumb to as Christians is that we think that we can win them over and appease them if we're just a little nicer and if we just tone it down and if we're just a little more friendly and if we just dim the lights a little bit and have candles and get rid of the tie and have cushy pillows and they'll like us and accept the gospel at the same time and we can have it. No, that doesn't work that way. That's a naive view of the world, unbelief, sinners. That's what Jesus said. Look at uh, verse 16 again. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. They are wolves in the soul. Verse 22, they're going to hate you because they hated me. Don't have a naive view of the world and unbelievers in sin. If we have a realistic view of the world and those who are lost in sinfulness, it will help us in being more bold. Another reason we aren't bold is because we just simply we're, we have cowardice. We're cowardly. We all are. We need to pray to God for boldness and ask Him to help us. Uh, look at verse 26, uh, Matthew 10. Therefore, do not fear them. Don't be afraid. Don't be cowardly. It just simply says, don't be cowardly. 
here's a huge one why we aren't bold for Christ. Because many times as Christians, we have a wrong view of Christ. We have an inferior view of Christ. We have an, uh, a twisted view of Christ that's misrepresented by the world because the world would have us believe that Jesus is always Mr. Nice Guy. He's Happy the Clown. He never gets mad. He never gets upset. He never offends anybody by what he says. Everybody likes Jesus. That's just a wrong view of Christ. Jesus makes that clear. He already said in verse 22, they hate me. The world hates me. They despise me. They despise truth. They love their sin. That's what he said. They're hard words, but it's reality. And after he says three times, don't fear the world. Be bold for me. And then he says this in verse 34, do not think that I, the Lord Jesus, came in the world to to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace this first time. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to bring division. Wow, that's harsh, Jesus. What are you talking about? And he's talking about by virtue of the truth that he taught. Truth divides. Truth offends. You don't need to try to be offensive to people because when you speak truth inevitably, you will offend somebody. Because truth, the truth of God offends sinners. That's what Jesus is talking about. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. And a lot of people have uh, the wrong view of Jesus Christ thinking that, well, we need to be like Jesus and Jesus never offended anybody and He was always Mr. Happy and Mr. Nice and He never said anything that stepped on anybody's toes. That is just not true. Read the Gospel of John. He offended somebody in every single chapter by His truth. His truth. He also set people free by His truth. People are always going to respond one of two ways. They're going to embrace the truth or they're going to reject the truth. It's that simple. And that's what Jesus said. And so you can't have a wrong view of Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on, With my truth, I came to set a man against his father by virtue of spiritual truth and Christianity, and a daughter against her mother. Literally, families are going to be separated over the issue of religion and who Jesus is. Loyalties to Christ will separate homes. I've seen that in my own family. Maybe you have as well. Jesus said it. It was a prophecy. It came true. It still remains true. He divides people because His truth divides people because sinners will react to truth and be divided over truth. Truth draws a line in the sand. And I'm going to set daughter-in-law against mother-in-law and the man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So that's having a proper view of Jesus Christ who is truth incarnate. Jesus is offensive. The very name of Jesus incites reaction from people all the time. So those are just some reminders that we can be thinking about and praying about. And in conclusion on this topic of holy boldness, if you're a believer sitting there and you have a true desire and you want to be more bold for Christ, even starting today or maybe tomorrow at work or at school, or wherever you are, then we need to start where the Apostle Paul started. When I think about who were the most bold Christians in the history of the church for 2,000 years, for me, it's the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul uh, come to mind. The Apostle Paul, both of whom were willing to put their life on the line for Christ. As a matter of fact, they did. They died for Jesus. They were the most bold of all. But their boldness didn't come from within, from their own strength. It came from God. It was a supernaturally imparted by God. And Here's one of the secrets of the Apostle Paul's boldness that I want all of us to emulate and I will be thinking about and have thought about all week long. I prayed this prayer this week, as a matter of fact. Ephesians 6, I'll just read it to you. He concludes, he's talking about prayer, the benefits of prayer, and then in verse 19, how prayer is like spiritual armor. And and then he gets personal. By the way, people, I, I pastored that church in Ephesus. I planted that church. I pastored you. I was with you for three years. Now I've been away. Uh, But think of me, pray for me, and here's his prayer request. And I'd say the same for you. Pray for me, pray for the elders, pray for other believers, this prayer. Pray on my behalf, says Paul, that utterance 
verbal communication may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So the Apostle Paul prayed specifically that other people would pray for him to have boldness as he speaks for Christ. And if the, of all people, if the Apostle Paul needed prayer to enable him through the Spirit of God and the grace of God to be more bold in speaking for Jesus, then how much more do we need that very prayer, don't we? I know I do. So I was convicted by that verse earlier on this week. So I prayed that, dear God, make me more bold for Jesus. Give me opportunities to speak up for you. And then like a day later, uh, my neighbor that I've known for four years is walking down the street right in front of me. And we started talking. And he's a talker. And we're talking and talking. And he likes to talk about dogs. And then before I know it, I just blurted it out. Hey, Tom, you want to come to church and visit? And then he changed the subject real quick. And I said, hey, I'll invite you on a good day where you really like it. And then he changed the subject again. Hey, we have a free meal after church. Treat you to lunch. And he changed the subject again. That's all right. Planted a seed, little inroad. Got to keep praying. And I pray the same for you. So let's ask God to continue to give us a holy boldness for him because he's our blessed Lord and Savior. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.